Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Torquem Talk. Uh, I've been looking to do this episode for a long time with one of my mentors and good friends here in Bend, uh, Yuri Biorjko. Uh Yuri is a fascinating human being who is very successful monetarily and within his soul. Um, we ended up having a interview that's not here, so the next clip you're going to see we're in a ridiculous hangar with his ridiculous planes as we talk about life and how he got to where he was and knowing that that actually isn't the key to this life is having these planes um and so the conversation ranges all over the place he's here local to ben a fantastic person to know and he's taught me so much and i hope that you guys can pick up a morsel too from our wide-ranging conversation between yuri and myself You don't fly because you want to fly. I don't or you don't no. or humans don't. I think you fly because always we wanted to fly. Yeah. It's like this one thing that we, we can go underwater, we can swim, but we can't fly on our own. Mm -hmm. So when you can do this in these machines, it's incredibly freeing. It's super fun. It's super freeing. The first time you take off, the first time you land. There's nothing like, well, I was rushing. My, my hands were sweaty, and I was, like, wiping it as I was doing my first, like, I was, like, the instructor's out of the cockpit. And did you look on, on the right seat? I was on the left seat when I no, landed. No, but did you look at the right seat? Oh, no. I remember taking off, and I'm, like, taking off. The plane is rotating. I'm climbing, and I'm not looking in front. I'm looking, holy shit. <laughs> there yeah, is nobody, nobody there. here. Yeah. Usually there was always, you know... Your sight is you're looking at the runway environment, you're looking mm -hmm. at the horizon, you're climbing full power, boom, you're doing the whole thing, right? Nobody here. That was like the one missing piece of this whole thing. And I'm like right here, and I remember, and I cried. I was like, oh my gosh. So I go, you know, I go with Southern California, you know, go underclass Bravo, then go by Malibu, obviously, you know, do a little lower than usual flying, <laughs> you know, the yeah. whole deal, yeah. right? And the things that they tell you not to do, you do a little bit. Mm -hmm. A little shy about doing it, but you're doing it nonetheless. <laughs> and that feeling is amazing. It is. And you know what? That's just, it's like a symbol of freedom. That's, that's what that is. Yeah, flying. it is a good symbol of freedom, but it takes a bit to get there. And you've accumulated a couple of very impressive planes behind us. So how, how has this become? How, how have you gotten these planes? What has been, what's been your key to this, if you were to sum I know it's a long story that we don't have time for, but yeah i think i have a good idea of what it is it's your ability to sell people your ability to tell people that you know how to get something done yeah you know what actually i was just thinking i don't sell i'm of service okay what does that mean my number one objective when i wake up in the morning is to make sure that I help somebody to achieve a better, whatever that better is. Well, that's doing the right thing. That's right. And it's like, if you think about financial gain for yourself, you come from a very selfish position. Mm -hmm. You might make a lot of money, but you will not build wealth. You have to be of service. What's the difference between making a lot of money and building wealth? Uh, money is a number. 
wealth, wealth is like a, a whole inclusive concept. Mm-hmm. Wealth is, uh, is not only dealing with numbers, but you can be a very rich person, very lonely, not have so many friends. Are you yeah. wealthy? No. You're rich, but you're not wealthy. So your definition of wealth is to have both money and friends? No. Okay. So just friends? Wealth is to be who you really wanted to be, not to be the person that society wanted you to be, not to be the person that your wife wanted you to be, but to be that from the morning to the evening, you've just lived a full life. How do you then, how do so many people um, fall under the habit of wealth means money and they need to do whatever it takes to get that? Because a society that tells you to do so. And you need to do so. I mean, there's, there's definitely, you have to quantify the energy that you spend. Mm-hmm. So you wake up in the morning, you eat X amount of calories, that's energy you're taking in, yep. and then you're gonna go through your day and you're gonna produce energy. So, they have some people that can take a, a calorie intake, 2,000 or 3,000 calories, and have the mental power to generate this incredible amount of energy. Think about the guy who subsides on hunting in the forest or just plants uh, food to, to survive. Mm-hmm. He puts X amount of energy and he gets pretty much the same amount of energy back. And then he dies. His body becomes energy to the food and then it's just like the food chain. Yeah. Now you have the guy that creates something that has an energetic worth that's much higher than just that survival mode of planting, eating the plant, and then planting again and eating the plant. So, so wealth goes like this. You can generate that energy, and then at different stages in your life, you're going to do different things with this energy. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, you just want to accumulate things because you've just been looking at society, attaching success to Stuff. a material label. Yeah. Right? So you're using this energy to convert it into buying things. At what point did this switch for you? Oh, because, when, you know, like when did, I came... At what, at what point did you go from, like, wealth equals money and all, and all the things to it's deeper than that? This once you have it, you realize, oh, my gosh, I got nothing. Okay. So once, once you have thing the thing in your hand, it's like, shit. I, I get this it. This is not as great as a journey. Yeah. So... It's like, oh, I want to climb the top of the mountain. You're at the top of the mountain. Great. Now what? The best was the climbing and the suffering. That was the best. It's, yeah, it's the uh, journey, not the destination. That's right. So but I feel like people hear this all the time, but it doesn't get through to them unless they have like a meltdown. That's what it took for me. It took me to have like my wife leaving me and me being like a curled up into a ball and realizing that this company that I built up um, and this team and this wealth I, I haven't accumulated the type of wealth or monetary success that you have but well, this is just but, stuff but it's but it's uh, it's a good amount and 
I was just sitting under and realizing that this doesn't mean anything. It's not, it doesn't make me happy at all. And that changed my whole outlook on life and introduced me to like stoicism and philosophy and all these sort of things. So I ended up learning that through a very difficult process that I'm very happy I went through, which was a, a painful divorce when I was 29. So what, when you learned it, when you got, basically it sounds like your point of changing uh, your philosophy of uh, happiness comes from having things to know it's more holistic than that. Well, it, it, well no. First of all, for me, so, you know, I was doing the Wall Street thing, having a good time. Then, you know, got caught a little bit into the drug thing. Boom. One day, I remember I was at my neighbor's house looking at my ex-wife waiting for me all night. That was the moment. So, you rebuilt. But that was the moment. The rest is consequential. Yeah. Anyway, so that's the day. So she was waiting for you. Yeah. And then my kid and was you, upstairs. And you were out all night partying? Yeah, yeah, like many nights. Yeah. And then you realize, you know, it's like, oh, the shit. So anyway, I went to rehab, got a lot of information through rehab. And uh, decided to live my life to be of service. Mm -hmm. And uh, what does that mean to you to live your life to be of service? You know, you have to leave the self out. The ego is what kills people. It does. Yeah. The ego is what makes people poor. The ego is what makes people suffer. So, it's amazing that the richest people in the world realize that to be richer, you have to give it all away. So there it is. The secret to an amazing investment life is whatever you got, give it away. Why? Because it goes like this. If you built a fortress with all these walls, all yep. these things, then you spend your time trying to protect the fortress mm -hmm. against invasions. You're always trying to control who comes in and out of your fortress. And the fortress becomes your life. So all of a sudden, instead of being creative, that creativity which allowed you to build those walls, mm -hmm. all of a sudden you have now a mind that is solely focused on trying to protect what you've built. Instead okay. of thinking. That's the journey thing. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you don't get good returns. Why? Because the fortress is there standing. It's not growing. Mm -hmm. It's not a forest. You don't have trees. You don't have resources that you exploit, that you set a fortress. Mm -hmm. So you spend your life protecting that fortress. If you get rid of the fortress, you get your backpack and go, well, now you've learned all these things, you go back and you see a new opportunity. And then you do this over and over and over again. And so you do it with, you know, like you went through a divorce. Mm -hmm. No, 
you share the path with your ex-wife. But uh, it's, just, it's just a journey. You were not meant to be together. However, you, you're still together in some ways. Yeah, we're partners still. Yeah. Plus, she helped you get to a certain stage, and you helped her get to a certain stage. Yeah. So you didn't spend your energy trying to defend something that was not meant to be. So you're both growing. That's true. Uh, in the beginning, I was all about, I'm going to take this from her. I'm going to get, I'm going to kick her out of my fortress. It's basically my mentality when she left me. And then I realized that we built that together and why. But now I need to change my perception on, and this has been something I'm trying to battle with. Like, I need to, I say this, that I'm okay with this big sign, our big Mazama logo over our building, that I'm okay with a day where that gets removed against my will. I don't know if I really am, but I try to picture that happening because that's where all my anxiety stems from when I see like a client that's not happy with us and if they cancel, which doesn't happen often, but it does happen. The tailspin that I sometimes, I used to really let myself go into is like, oh, that's gonna happen in another one, another one, and we're gonna lose people, and then all of a sudden the sign's coming down and then I'm done. That's the best thing that can happen is all of a sudden your worry is no longer there because then you can find the bud yeah. that got you there again. And that's what happens is we lose each other into doing these things that have absolutely um, no, no end. And they, just, they end up being a slave to you too because um, if you think that you have to sign certain clients in order to keep things going, and if you have to do that, then all of a sudden you're, you're making calls due to, and this is how I used to make calls, it's not anymore. I'd make calls due to um, keeping the business growing as opposed to working with people that I know are a good fit for our company. So what you're breathing, you have a pulse, you have money, you're in. Now that's not the case because I know, I learned the hard way what that does with the morale of the team that I really care about compared to the zeros in the bank account of the business. It's way, way more important and fulfilling to have like your team jacked and happy to be working with people and not have that asshole who is trying to protect his workers, who is yelling and making my team cry, which has happened in the past. I had to fire a few clients, but I would still find the trap of, well, I need, we need to pay for the health. We need to pay for this. We need to pay for that. For, so they're coming on. But it's not worth it. That's right. It's not. That's right. How... Um, You've taught me a lot of things over the years. Um, definitely, like one of my, uh, definitely my best mentor in town here and friend. Well, uh, when it comes to uh, so many things that you've taught, and I, I was just like, man, this 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 podcast. There's so many things I would love to have you share with people that has gone far for me. One of them is your ability um, on what you taught me. I always prided myself on my ability of. Um, uh, getting new business through um, selling and stuff like that. But I'm always open to learning. And what you taught me has worked incredibly well. But I would like to just have you take it from there. Like, what? how are your tactics on getting somebody to open up to you? Somebody who could be a potential client. Well, everybody can be a potential client. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I'm not looking for real business. I'm looking for... It's like an exchange of it's an exchange of energy. So, you know, the client will will teach you things, which will allow you to refine your craft. Will come up with needs, and issues which will require you 
to actually do research in your field that you know very well, but will challenge your knowledge. And you got to find a way. And because you wake up to be of service. Mm -hmm. It's not, oh, I'm just going to do the cookie cutter, cookie cutter solution. You're just going to buy ABC investments. You're going to do this great. Then I'm going to get X amount of commissions. No, 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 no. That's not what you invest for. First of all, you have to try to read the, the, the person and try to understand the challenge that person is going through because there are two people that come to you. The person comes to you telling you who they are. But it's not the person you invest for. Your challenge is to know who that person really is, but that person doesn't know yet who, who that person are. is. Yeah. But from an investment perspective, it's very important that you know. Why? Because if that person does not invest for the person that that person really is, at some point in time, it will fall short. Okay? So, example, you get a couple that comes to you. So, well, to go back to your question is, um, if you want to be of service and you feel that these people need help, the sale is there. It will happen. It's organic. There is a need for food and you provide the food, the person is hungry, boom, it'll be but a how, match. how do you get them to open up, though? It's, it's, an, it's energetic. It's like, a, it's almost uh, esoteric. You look at them in the eyes, nobody look. First of all, you listen. There they you have go. something to Let's say. Let's talk about that, listening. Because so many, so many reps come in and they just talk. Well, you have to kind of give you like your uh, elevator pitch. Mm, sure. And people tell you, no, I'm not interested. And then, I don't know, it's you, you gauge at that point. What do you hear when somebody tells you they're not interested? In life, not just in investing and stuff like that, just in life and whatever you're trying to persevere through. Well, they might, they might actually not be interested. <laughs> I mean, that's what I hear. I hear try again. Yeah. The reality is, uh, well, I mean... In, in 60 seconds, you're not going to know what that person feels, but you can read. You can read the energy. When they tell you, I'm not interested, you, you, you observe. Mm -hmm. It's just like, you know, we're back to, you know, animal kind of reactions here. You just read. Is that person crying for help? Mm -hmm. Is that person egos talking? Who is talking here? You know, I mean... There are two things in the sales process. So you can throw, you know, uh, you can throw arrows all over and try to see, you know, who got hit and try to see if you have a kill, right? Or you target your market and you know that people have a certain need. So at the beginning, and you and I have this in common, is we call call for a living. I call call at the phone book right. and I call every number. Mm -hmm. You know, and the game goes like this. You speak to 100 people, one will say yes, and for 10 yes, you have one client. These are numbers. It's mathematic. All you mm -hmm. have to do is hit the, the, the dials, right? Mm -hmm. It works. Because if you keep asking, somebody will have a need at some point in time and you just happen to be asking. Yeah, and they say things like, oh, you caught me at the right time. That's right. So mm -hmm. the more you dial, the more successful you are, no exception to the rule. 2019, people don't like cold calling. Um, they're like, oh, no, 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 I'll just be doing this stuff like socially or I'll send out a bunch of emails and stuff like that. Um, but, I mean, Mitch, who's been uh, getting into sales here, 
because he's like, but I want to learn how to sail. I'm like, all right, pick up the phone. And he's been having great success. And he's been hearing the things like, haven't you, Mitch? Uh, oh, you caught me at the right time. And you've also been hearing no's. So why don't people want to do it? And why is it like, where did this, where did this start? Where do you think? And how do you, how do you change somebody who's young and hungry to not be afraid of picking up the phone? It's ego. It's the, oh. It's the ego. It's the ego of Remember, being said no to. Oh, that, they, have, they have shitty <laughs> lives. They're stressed. They pretend. So they show up in a sales job and they're not doing the things that you need to do to sell, mm -hmm. but they want the results of the sales. So the ego is saying, I'm bigger than this. No. Mm -hmm. If you sell, you try to talk to as many people as you can. Mm-hmm so that you can find somebody who has a need for your services. And it doesn't mean that you're like a predator. It means you want to be of service. Yeah. It's like, you know, the Salvation Army people, they go in all day and they ring the bell. And not everybody gives, but what they want is to help the needy. And they go out there and they will solicit everybody for that coin. It's not about the soliciting, they have a higher purpose. The higher purpose is to go help someone else. So when you go and sell, you have a service that will change someone's life. It will absolutely change someone's life. Mm -hmm. But you need to find a contra to that trade. And that's what you're looking for. So you're going to look at as many people as you can. And the good news is once you find a client, not only do you find a client, but you find a partner. You might meet a wife, mm -hmm. you might meet a friend, you will for sure meet a mentor because when you get a client, that person has been successful or is successful or is about to be successful. Like you're my client. Mm -hmm. Well, you're building success. I learned so much from you. You're bringing a dimension which I no longer have because of the age difference. Mm -hmm. You also come from a different generation. So I, I observe the way that you, you process information, the way you live, so it is actually a mutually, a mutually beneficial relationship. Okay, we're doing this because that's what you know, and I can help you on the other side once you have accumulated the numbers, because I'm very good with numbers and you're very good with this. Sure. So you go out there and you call, call as many people as you can so that you can find as many people you can be of service to, because the more you help, the better you feel. And the less selfish you are, the le if you only have one or two clients, all you think is about your poor ass, you can't pay the bill. That's selfish. If you have a thousand clients, you're so busy helping, you don't have time to pay your bills. In fact, most of these guys, you know what? They, they have like a normal car and they live in a normal house. They're too busy to think about themselves. And that's mm -hmm. the person I want to be, is to be of service to others, to help. And, and, everybody, and everybody succeeds here. Is that kind of like uh, the reason why? Uh, I mean, you have some awesome planes here, obviously, but uh, you're, you have like a like 1995 Suburban outside. <laughs> I hate cars. Yeah, yeah. You can't drive. Yeah. So. Well, the cops are here with a gun, oh. uh, shooting your speed, whatever, on the on mm -hmm. the road. If you don't go 20 miles an hour, all of a sudden it's 150 bucks. I hate that 150 dollars. Uh, so you go on a slow. No, car. plus plus when you're my height. Six six, you know, like mm -hmm. you could not give me a Ferrari. I would not drive it. Yeah. I would trade it for Ford Transit 
or, or like a, a, a Mercedes Sprint or something big. Yeah, you want to fit well enough. Yeah. Uh, so going back to the sale really quick, how do you how can we help people uh, get over no? Because that's what they're afraid of, right? Their ego and being said no to. Uh, nothing you can do. They have to go through a lot of no's to get the tough skin to know that there's a yes coming. Is that yes? Well, I'll tell you what happens. So they get the yes, and then they forget how they got the yes. That's the ego comes back. Mm -hmm. So you go in, you hustle, you hustle, you hustle, you hustle, you hustle, you suffer, you get the yes. Now you have a business. Mm -hmm. Now you feel good. And then your ego comes in. Ooh, aren't you so good now? You're not going to go back to begging for money, are you? You're not going to go back to begging for business. First of all, you were not begging for business. You were looking for people to help. Mm -hmm. And that people that's the first thing people forget. And then second is, ooh, I got my commission check. And the me comes in, ego. And then they just don't want to go back to what really got them there in the first place. So they have to go through many, many, many yeses. And, uh, and then to understand that it's just a process. And once they can, it's like flying instrument, you know? If you let your brain, if you let your eyes, well, if you let your senses guide you, you're going to die real instrument, fast. Instrument on a plane. Like this. Yeah. You're going to die. Mm -hmm. You're going to go in the clouds. And within 20 to 30 seconds, yeah. you're done. Yeah. Basically what happens when you go into a cloud, um, you, your senses completely don't understand which way is up and which way is down. That's right. Pretty much immediately for those that don't fly. And um, it seems uh, like, well, what are you talking about? I know which way is up and which way is down. You don't once you go into a cloud. Um, and uh, you might be thinking that uh, your brain, your feelings might be feeling like you're going into a dive and so that you need to pull up. But really, you were going up and you just pulled into a stall or the opposite. And um, that's Every, one. Yeah. yeah, bad things happen. Mm -hmm. So if you train and do it enough time, well, enough times. Uh, you just read the gauges and you're like, oh, yeah. And then you realize it's it's all an approximation. It is so easy. Yeah, that's what happens when I fly with you is you basically, I mean, I remember the first time I was flying you in the King Air and uh, after you had everything set up, you're like, okay, and took the um, the shields, uh, the aluminum shields for the windows and blocked them all off to save it. And I was just like, Well, yep. because you was so hot in that cockpit. <laughs> but you don't need to look outside. Yeah, so what happens is flying is actually an, an extremely amazing skill to pick up because it will help you in every aspect of life, especially in sales, by the way. Oh, how in it's sales? It's hard work. It's a lot of study. You have to know your stuff. Mm -hmm. And once you know the theory, so you know. It's in the book. You can answer the quiz. Mm -hmm. Done. Then there's nothing Doing. replaces practice. Mm -hmm. You have to do it over and over and over again. And then guess what? You're bad. No, first of all, you're real bad, then bad, then not so bad, then you're fair, then you're good, and then you're current. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and how do you stay current? By doing. If you stop doing, you're real bad, then you're bad. And it's like a language. Yeah. So you have to keep doing and doing and doing and doing. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do it well, you die. Yeah. Same in sales. If you are not current, you're not going to sell. So you're going to lose your job because your boss is going to fire you 
or you're gonna lose money to your client. It's just something will give. Yeah. You have to stay current. And by doing by current, you mean I'm in this analogy, you're talking about cold calling, stay current and don't you have, let your well, ego cold calling, calling, going to meetings, referrals, going to events, yeah, whatever. Whatever you have to do. You have to yeah. speak to new people. That's what yeah. you have to do. Absolutely. And that's the currency. And you know what? And again, you talk to people to be of service. You don't talk to people uh, if you just look at the self, what happens is you might actually get very wealthy, very quick, very rich, very quickly, but because the ego will come in, and you know, if you, the, the ego, if if you let the ego take over, it goes down very, very fast. Mm -hmm. Very, the first hiccup in business, you don't want to, you don't want to lose things. So all of a sudden, the ego tells you, do this, do this, you do bad things, and you're out of business. So every time you have a business failure, is because you let the ego speak. Right. And by the way, failure is only an interpretation of what has happened. If a business fails or a transaction fails or you, you didn't get the business, it's just part of the it's part of the process. It's like uh, good and bad are just interpretations of the mind. That's right. Things aren't good. Things aren't bad. It's your perspective, your perception of them. That's and right. that's it. So once you start thinking, oh, this is a real bad deal, that's only because you think that. That's right. Uh, like the thought of uh, Malcolm X when he was thrown into jail, he's just like, oh, what an opportunity for me to like learn law and and read. I don't have to do anything else. I could just end up studying philosophy and law and end up doing the great civil rights movement that he ended up doing that just came from, this isn't a bad thing, it's actually a good thing. Look at all this free time I now have. That's right. Can you imagine if you got thrown into jail, all the things you could learn? What I was thinking then, I don't have to do this trash chore then i don't have to do that chore that <laughs> you know hospitals are good too because you have the nurses to help you to get fed it's kind of nice too but anyway yeah. that aside yeah. um with uh, another thing i like when it comes to um what you're talking about with being a service when it comes to getting new clients um and that's something that i've learned i i used to have, uh, I mean, it worked, but have like a pitch and um, a product that was kind of on rails as far as what we can do. Um, but we've diversified so much that it's just like, I come in and I end up just asking a lot of questions. Like, what are you looking to do? How are you doing it? What's the pain points that you're having? What have you marketed before? Have you thought about dropping the price on this? Have you thought about increasing that? Um, what about X? What about Y? What about Z? And the whole presentation is actually just a ton of questions going deep, deep, deep. And they end up giving me all these things that are happening and how I can end up helping them. And then it's just putting together, okay, can I help? And if I can, this is how, because I now know everything that you're trying to accomplish, the failures you've gone through and the successes you have and how we can replicate that and what we can learn from the failures before and not and as opposed to uh, when they come and be like, this is the system, here's the funnel, this is how you get the leads, sign right there. And they would, but I wouldn't have a full understanding to be of service. I'd be able to get the check, but I wouldn't be able to have as high of a retention as I do now and as happy of clients because I wouldn't fully understand. So not only do I have a higher that's retention rate. That's currency. Currency. Oh, being like current as a pilot. You have to yeah. start with a product. Mm-hmm and you build the rapport from that product. And even with new clients at your stage, it might be the one product that gets you there. But what happens is now your experience mm -hmm. is the reading into what the person needs and that person doesn't understand yet that they need what you know they need. 
but you can help walk them through it That's right. by asking questions. It's but at a, the beginning, the Socratic method, yeah, so to the, speak. At the beginning, you have to uh, you have to attract them onto one thing. What's that? Whatever product you're selling. Yeah. You know, you have the one thing so that you can get this initial meeting. You know, or you can get this initial contract. And then you know, and then if you have good intentions, the rest comes in. And you know, as you do it so many times with so many people. Then all of a sudden you have a certain fluency on their businesses, their needs, and you know what they don't know mm -hmm. uh, because you know they're like there. You have a synoptic view about what's being done right now to get you know their business to the 21st century. Yeah, and that, that's uh, actually it's kind of interesting. I was uh, going through this with I was uh, teaching Mr. this the other day. Um, I accidentally have taught myself to become a better salesperson. Um, by switching up my reading. So I used to be, when I was at Money Hungry, gonna make a $100 million agency and that's all that matters. And now like that, I know that that's not what matters. And so it went from my reading uh, would be uh, just all these sales books, like how to become better at sales, how to run an awesome business, stuff like that. And that would just be like, the nightstand was full of those kind of books. And now the books have shifted. I occasionally go back to those, not not too often, but the books have more shifted to um, uh, Stoicism, philosophy, um, and a big thing that I'm tackling is uh, Plato. And and Plato is all on Socrates, and Socrates' method is just asking questions and listening, active listening like you were talking about. And from studying that so much, I just find myself doing it in meetings with potential clients, and that leads to like all of this not, and I'm like I can help you so much more and the thing that's crazy is I, I I oftentimes don't even have the solution for them right away and I even tell them like I'm not quite sure what's exactly going to be the right thing here but here's a combination we work at to tackle these problems that you have does that seem right and they're like yeah yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you here but this is when you are an amazing business person is all of a sudden the solution is gonna come from that team that you have built with that client who is no longer a client, is a partner. Yeah. You know certain things, he knows other things, and the combination of one plus one equals five. Yeah. That synergy will allow you to brainstorm, and the solution that's being created is going to come from that partnership. So your client is not your client. Your client is your partner, and you're taking that knowledge to the next one, and the next one, and the next one. That's why. Your job is to get as many clients as you can so you can become exponentially better at what you do. The more clients you have, the less repetitive you are, mm -hmm. the more you have to learn to adjust, to transform yourself and themselves. And then all of a sudden, it's like the economy of scale. You have all of this experience that you can tackle. And to help John here, you call Peter, who is also your client, said, look, John's got this going on. And I mean, I was thinking about it yesterday, but you know better because this is your field of expertise. How can we help him? Because he's stuck here. Yeah. Like you're expanding yep. in the UK, yep. right? Mm -hmm. Well, in the UK, they have a UK way to do business. We have a US way to do business. You know, Europe is kind of always behind. They don't know yet that they need what you are bringing to them. Well, so you're going to get one guy who is going to understand and then the next guy, and the next guy, but they have really geographically, I mean, they, they have very local problems. Mm -hmm. 
the more you have, the more you learn, the more you can help. But you can help them to begin with because you're bringing this completely different approach or, you know, that, that's, you know, that's, that's being done here because, I mean, you know, the U.S. is still in the forefront of business. So you're bringing this knowledge sure. to them. And then what happens is they're going to also bring you that U.K. culture so that you actually can help them in their way. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you don't have clients, you have, you have partners. The reality of the matter is your business is going to be better and better and better because you're going to invent things. Mm-hmm. You're going to become creative. And in today's environment where everything is commoditized, you can always find cheaper. So either you become extremely creative and irreplaceable, otherwise they'll replace. I mean, this is, gonna, this is a fact of life. Uh, going really quick, so what you're saying on the culture, I wanted to hit on uh, that for a second really quick. Um, so you're um, French, and how many languages do you speak? Couple. Two? French and English. I had a double little here, little there, but... Portuguese. Okay, no. so just in... Uh, uh, that's twice as many as the average American, twice as many as I do. I'm trying to learn Spanish more, but... You don't get to practice. I don't get to practice it too much because we live in Bend and uh, there's not really much to practice with. But anyway, my question is, how do you end up seeing the world differently when um, you're speaking? Do you do you see the world differently through different languages? Of course. Okay. That's well, I mean, from the cultural standpoint, yes. And through the language, obviously. Yeah. Can you like elaborate on that? Why? How are things different in a language compared to English? Or compared so to that's my one? wife, because sometimes we just don't understand each other. Because I say one thing and she understands another thing, being Brazilian. Mm-hmm. So obviously we have, you know, French to English to Portuguese. So it's just like uh, things get lost in translation. Um, and I think, uh, well, like for example, to describe food, mm-hmm. you have so many words in French. And you have like three words in English. So right there. Really? To, yeah, to describe your experience when it comes to food or the experience of food or this or that you're missing certain things so there is no word for like how i'm trying to describe this no there there's always an equivalent but it just it doesn't have the subtleties that the french language will have just because the french are you know paying attention to this and the same in mathematics french seems to be a better language however if you think about technical stuff english is way superior it's Mm -hmm. more direct more concise and with two words you, you, you describe the whole issue so okay. you know uh, yeah the reason because I'm fascinated with like that concept with um, uh, for example like um, Mandarin has a word for uh, you know how we're always like especially in today's society being like oh it's a he or a she or you know whatever or you know, that whole thing, what do you say? And when authors are writing books, it's like, I decided to go with he, they, like their forwards are often talking about, I decided to just go she the whole time, but I do mean he or she. Uh, but Mandarin, they have a word for just a person. And we don't have that equivalent, like an, like an it, so to speak. And so that whole perception of being like the one, and why do you even put a gender to it? Because you uh, and I, we can go off and do a lot of things, and it doesn't matter what's in between like our legs. We're still that Mandarin word. And so that, that, that just fascinates me. Like, okay, well then you start seeing the world through a different perspective, perspective and something that we can't even comprehend. And we have to write forwards on, on how to describe it in the beginning of a book. Um, so in France, when you guys are dealing with like, uh, uh, different, uh, descriptions of food and things like that, do you, uh, 
do you find that ends up helping as well in like business when you're talking? Do you have like uh, clients in Europe that? Well, for sure. And I'm going to tell you why. And I'm in the money business. So my job is to invest. The one thing I don't want to hear on an, on an initial, I mean, you know, you have the initial sales call. Yes, let's go for a meeting. I don't care about what they have. I don't care about what they have achieved. I need to gauge the person, where, mm -hmm. the, where the person is, uh, what the person does, how the person thinks. I'm, I, just want to I just want to get a qualitative approach to the person as a person. Mm -hmm. A lunch is an amazing thing. I mean, you know, you, you get so much out of going to lunch with somebody, the way they, they look at food and the way they, they take the time or they don't have the time. And, and then you can gauge them as a person. Because, you know, to help somebody, you have to gauge that somebody. But you don't talk about, oh, I'm going to help you on the first meeting. It's like first get to know who the person is. Then the second meeting. At, at lunch, really quick, when you meet with people, what, what are some things that make you abort? Abort? Abort from wanting to work with that person. Because lunch cell is very phone. telling. If they're busy on the cell phone, fuck it, I'm done. <laughs> okay. End good. of story. Yeah. I'm gone. If they're too, I'm here. I'm mm -hmm. present. We're having a great moment. Uh, if they're like always looking down, like looking down so busy, they're not in that moment. I'm not going to be able to help because so, it's going to get hard to help yeah. somebody. With okay, do you bring I, that up first? Know, because know so many people have this problem. Well, well, but I need attention because you know I deal with financial stuff. I know things that the wives don't know or the husbands don't know. Yeah, I know things that will happen in the future that they don't even know is going to happen in the future. You work with this energy that's like could be the brightest energy, but it's also very often dark energy. Okay, it's gonna get tough sometimes. I need attention. If they cannot give me this attention at lunch, if we don't, and I'm, I'm not just, and I'm not just a guy who provides a service. I need to know that we have this connection because it's going to get hard sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to need to do things for people for who they really are, not the people that they're advertising the world they are. So if you go to lunch, and they don't give you the time of day or they're too busy. To, well, they're not interested. Mm -hmm. I can't make that connection. I won't be able to help. I can get a buck out of them. Great, you know, sell a couple investments, you know, get them for two, three years. But that's not what I do. What I do is help people make sure that, that, that they're protected against themselves, against inflation, that they have maximized the return on their energy that they produce. So, you know, you, because you have that much energy, you're going to produce through your lifetime. And that's it. At one point, you can't, you know, you yeah. start, you're, you're able to work. And one point, you're not able to work. Well, who's taking care of you? Yeah. And the, I, I'm with you. So, the, the, actually, when I was vomiting my fucking ass well, off. Oh, you have an iPhone now. Let me see. Mm. This is a no, we're not talking about the iPhone. Okay. Well, we'll talk. Well, yeah, we are talking. We're not going to get into the specs now. of that. Yeah, I did. Yeah, that's a long story. Yeah, he's, well, I know the story. But anyway, um, this, not this phone, it was a droid, but in Vegas, it was, I was. Uh, Did you see him? Okay. Yeah, he came in. I got so sick uh, from eating um, raw fish for the first time in two and a half years. I had to go to the hospital and I was vomiting for 18 hours straight. And this thing, it was just a normal Tuesday. And I'm in the hospital and it's like oh, one o'clock and this thing's just doing what it normally does, which I'm used to, which is. Dun, 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 dun. 
clients, employees, friends, mom, and I have no interest of dealing with that thing because I'm worried about taking care of my body Mm -hmm. and my body is not doing good at all. And I just for that moment like hated that thing's existence. And now I'm like back to normal and everything like that, but I don't like having it out in person and stuff like that. And I don't like, like when we go like uh, to lunch and we eat, like we both are in the moment and I really appreciate that. But the problem that what you're saying on something that's a complete off is like, I would probably have to cut like half my clients if I followed that philosophy. Well, you take into consideration, doesn't mean that you cut, it means that you're gonna have to do some work there. Set up a context where you can actually relate with the person so you can help. So you look at the situation, you assess the situation, you realize that person is distracted. Well, maybe we go biking. Maybe we go get drunk, something. (laughs) But you're gonna have to do something to get that person distracted from this. So you're gonna have to bring another distraction because your job is to help. Mm -hmm. The only way you help is if you know that true person. Sure. You have to help. Because you, you you don't start this relationship unless you can make a difference in that person's life. When the people are too busy to be distracted and they're not paying enough attention, well, they're going to hurt themselves. Like, you know, again, analogy to flying. If you're not paying attention, you look up and oops, mm-hmm. you're where you don't want to be. If you don't plan it, if you don't plan it, well, it's lethal in airplanes and it's actually lethal in life. And people don't understand this whole thing. They think life is great, no problems, careless. Mm -mm. If you don't plan well, you will die. If you don't eat well, you will die. If you don't plan financially, you will not have a good life. Mm -hmm. These are real things. And people are super distracted at the moment and they're not paying attention to details. And you know, big changes is from an accumulation of small details. People don't give a fuck right now. Okay. And guess they wake up and it's like, oh my gosh, what happened to me? Well, what happened to you is you were not paying attention. Yeah. And, and, and in conversation, they were not paying attention. At the end of the conversation, it compounds. They have no clue about what was said or what was done. No fucking clue. Because you know what? If you keep missing two seconds every two minutes... At the end of three hours, it's a lot of seconds. You might have missed a critical piece of information. Yeah, and um, what one thing that you're just talking about when it comes to um, you know eating and not planning on when it comes to um, like wealth and stuff like that is there's something that's fascinating that I was actually a victim of, um, and something that is just a lack of education to my generation, but we're not taught on uh <laughs> we're not taught to to even open up uh 401ks and IRAs and Roth, Roth IRAs well, that's a parent's fault maybe parents school whatever you want to do that value isn't there so I end up like getting my stuff together at the age of like 32 just thinking to myself I don't like to live in the past so I only kick myself once by the way we need to have that conversation that's after all of this yeah uh, yeah yeah we, we need to go upstairs and talk about this but um but I wish I learned that lesson when I was 18. I wish yeah. I was putting just a hundred bucks, even if it was a hundred bucks every three months, like 30 bucks a month. That would have been so much bigger because of compound interest and just 10% on top of itself, every like tax, it's just, it's insane. But this wasn't, this never was told me how important it was. Yeah. And so I, 
I think it's because uh, I'm not alone on that. I no, have plenty. I think it, well, what happens is, you know, I think it's a generation that takes for granted that, you know, the lights, the lights are on, on <laughs> the food is there. There's just, it's know. a good time to be alive when it comes to uh, not going through a shit storm. There's no war that we have to be drafted to. Well, that we have to be drafted to in America, yeah. you know, um, you assume that it's, you know, by the way, it's, your generation is a lot more intelligent than, you know, every generation gets more and more intelligent, but more and more focused. Uh, when it comes to investments, education, just, you know, people are not necessarily interested uh, in, in doing uh, financial planning or investments or what have you, because it just was provided, you know, they mm -hmm. just never have to think about it. My generation was different from my parents' generation, from their parents' generation, obviously, you know, World War One, World War Two, and then Vietnam and all of this, you know, these were pretty chaotic times. So you have to kind of think about the future. And, uh, you know, nothing was given. But the next generation is, you know, you take everything for granted. But it's good and bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, your generation is going to create more wealth than the previous generation. It's just going to be a different kind of wealth. What happens is, at this particular conjuncture, people assume that they will be taken care of because the parents were taking care of them. Yeah. The system is not going to take care of anybody and the parents might or might not, or they might inherit. But what happens is most of them are highly unprepared and they're going to lose it all. And the urgency of investing is not communicated to us. Like the, it's not spelled out. Like nobody ever spelled it out to me that like, if you're, if you just put aside like, a few thousand dollars a year that you're going to end up spending on stupid crap like an updated iPhone anyway. And you let that compound over the course of 10 years, it's going to be ridiculous amount You know better than me. Like what, what yeah, the power of compounding is, is tremendous. Yeah. So since this is your world, I'm not going to try to say what's going to be. What would happen to somebody if they were investing like a thousand dollars when they're 20? How big do you think that would be when they're 50? It depends. 50? I mean, if you had bought Apple, you'd be a multi-zero. Well, I, mean, I mean, just, just in Roth IRA. I don't know. I would, have to, I would have to run the number. The numbers are staggering. I mean, to It give goes you, like this, though. Yeah, it's exponential. Yeah. It's, it's exponential. It's crazy. I mean, you know, that's why people have so much wealth in, the, uh, in their houses. is because it's for saving. You buy the asset, you own the asset, and then you're making monthly contribution, of which a tiny portion goes towards the asset. Most of it goes to the bank in form of interest. Mm -hmm. If you actually took most of that money that you give in a mortgage and live in a shitty apartment, you'd be like Warren Buffett because most of your mortgage. So let's say you, you put $100,000 down, you buy this asset, right? And then your interest is 5 6%. So a portion of your monthly payment is interest and a portion of principal. Well, that tiny portion of principal compounded over 20, 30 years become millions. Mm -hmm. Imagine if you had taken that mortgage and took half, so lived just slightly beyond the level that you wanted to live for 10 years. All of a sudden, you're going from your studio to your mansion. Right. There you go. What's the point of like, even when you'd go like, like if you're like, okay, but I want the bigger house now. Okay, cool. You got yourself a well, three me, bedroom for what? Let me give the wake up call. We had a big house. All I want is a studio. Like yeah. you saw my house. I just want to make a studio upstairs and downstairs. It's just because downstairs is below upstairs. I'm living upstairs. The bigger, the more pain in the, you know what it is. It's just a bunch of empty rooms. That's right. That's right. I bet it's the, it's the ego. Of course. The ego is your worst. 
It's your best friend and your worst enemy. The ego's created a trillion dollar industry of people that are just storing their ego shit. Their, their, their stuff. Mm. And it's in storage. storage. Yeah, yeah storage. I'm talking about storage. Freaking close to a trillion dollars. I'm just, we ran out of places to put our crap. But we can't get rid of it because we own it. So we need to pay to store it somewhere. How crazy is that? Well, there is, by the way, your generation. I don't do that shit. Your, <laughs> your generation is going to transform a lot of things because people will, you know, it's capitalism and communism are merging. All of a sudden you realize Hooray, you can Bernie rent Sanders. something, you can share. No, no, but I mean, it's the truth. I know. People will share resources. We just don't have enough resources. So, you know, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of transformations that are happening that your generation is bringing. Uh, it's just missing a slight level of little amount of education to take advantage of some of these changes from an investment standpoint. So mm -hmm. instead of being a consumer, so if you're in an app, uh, an iPhone, well, since you consume so much of that iPhone, why don't you buy a couple of shares of Apple and ride them along? Since you're using Facebook all the time. Maybe my suggestion is why don't you buy 50 shares of Facebook, Facebook to begin with and whatever you use every single day, uh, you know, oh, you have Ubiquiti uh, router, great, buy Ubiquiti stock, you know, this thing went up, you know, two, three hundred percent. Apple went up, you know, you know how much it went up. So the reality is it's just a mindset. As you consume, also become an investor since you're already consuming, spending money on the iPhone. Yeah. Well, skip one iPhone and buy some shares. So. You, next thing you know is the shares that you bought in lieu of that newest iPhone will pay for an iPhone the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And that's the mindset. That's what I'm trying to do with at least people your age is to try to come up with an approach. I mean, I'm trying to do. I know what needs to be done. I just don't know how to get it done except that by building this rapport and understanding how you proceed, how you think, because obviously we have a 20 year different. So it's, it's, it's a difference in generation. Yeah. Right? But I understand how you consume, I understand how you see things. And my job to be able to be of service is to help you using your um, background yeah. and knowledge. We merge the, the two and then we both grow from me learning about you and vice versa. And then you know about Minecraft. So. Uh, what have been like some of your big plays that have helped you build the monetary success that you've um, achieved in your life? Yeah, not, nothing really big. It's just systematic compounding okay. of consistent interest. It's hard because, you know, you, you have some great winners. You have some great losers. Over time, you know, statistics work in your favor. You really don't have to be a genius. You just have to be extremely consistently mediocre and you will achieve great success. I mean, that's it. It's mm -hmm. like a sales guy, consistent mediocre sales. And over time it compounds. And next thing you know is you have a huge business. True. You know, you don't want to be up and down, up and down, up and down, pick mm -hmm. up a side. No, no. I'm doing the French thing. Let's see who is going to win. Then I pick up a side. <laughs> so not knowing, I pick everybody's side. And over time, you know, you start to get the odds are in your favor. You mm -hmm. know, it's amazing. In investments, the odds are in your favor. The hardest, it's like doing bungee jumping. You have to jump. The hardest thing is the jump. Mm -hmm. That's it. In investments, it's the same. You get going. It's on cruise control. One day you wake up. Oh, my gosh, I got this much. Yeah, but how did I do this? Four and a half percent 
a year. Imagine if it was 6% or 10%. People wake up. The power of compounding is crazy. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's and, crazy. And, and that's the thing that we should uh, mention, overlay some like graphs of the power of compounding yeah, as we we're had. talking. Oh, you know we know we'll, we'll do it in post. We'll have like a bunch of graphs like showing like, hey, here's like $1,000 here and this is what would happen in 30 years if you put it in a Roth. Well, I mean, like for example, you buy a car, 40000 on a loan, buy a $500 car and spend the money you would, you get from point A to point B, same place. Mm-hmm. So instead of buying the super- but that's your ego chariot. Well, no, but you need maybe, yeah, that's right, that's right. These, that's right. That's <laughs> right. my new favorite term for like really expensive cars is your ego chariot. You know, it's nice to have an ego chariot too sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it is. But uh, in today's world, I mean, uh, you know, whatever. I wanted to go back really quick. Um, I was curious. So you, when I was asking you on, um, when you go and you go to a meal and you, um, and I asked what was the number one thing that's just like, oh, I don't want to work with this person. That's if they're on their phone all the time. So that's in a new advancement over the last 20 years, right? And I don't know a world. That has created massive amount of wealth because that technology, if you were to buy into that technology, you would be a very wealthy man. Yes, I agree. I'm just correlating. Yeah, yeah. The uh, good to the bad. But I'm curious as to what would be that sign before the phone and maybe still today, probably still today. What's another thing? Like if you saw somebody doing this while meeting you. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, they they don't ask necessarily the questions. They're just talking a lot about. Well, you know, people like to talk about themselves, which is fine. But you realize that they're actually trying to justify the hollowness that is. So they're just presenting you the person they want the world to perceive they are. Mm -hmm. Right there, you know that uh, they're not for real. So unless you can crack that nut and tell them, I know who you are, it's fine. You will get there. You're not there today, but let me show you the power of compounding and in 12 years you're there. So we're going to do this you and I together. I won't tell anybody. Go do your thing. I want to help you there. We meet in 12 years and this is your financial plan. If you know, that's that's your job. So, you know, they talk a lot about themselves. They're justifying something that is unjustifiable and there's just nothing there. They just don't have the desire or the means or the or a combination thereof. Um, Who was I think? um it might have been Schwab. I'm not entirely sure, but some successful CEO, he would do a test um, where he would take a uh, person who's interviewing uh, for a higher up position at his company to breakfast, and he would tell the waitress to purposely screw up the order, his order, to see how he would react. And you could tell a lot from a person just like how they treat people and humans and, and how they are just by like getting really upset that the eggs aren't over easy or whatever it was. And from that reaction would be like one of the main things that would bring him. I haven't done it. I've always thought about doing that. I think it would be bad because, you know, I'm expecting <laughs> I'm expecting the meal to come as advertised. So I have a low tolerance for the whole experience tell you. That. I mean, you know how I like to eat and I mm-hmm. I just go above and beyond to make sure that that experience is there. And it's like, it drives me nuts in restaurants where you're expected, you know, when, when you're expected to 
be okay with mediocrity. It's just... What's the thing that you say when we go out to eat? You say um, something to waitresses towards the end of our meal when they're trying to... Uh, still working or something like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Are you still working on this? I'm not working. I'm eating. You're working. <laughs> I'm eating. Eating is no work. What? This is cr- It drives me nuts. Yeah, I know. I am not <laughs> working. I'm having an amazing time. I'm, it's, it's, we're exchanging energy. It's beautiful. Are you still working on this? Or oh, then you turn this and there's no plate. It's like gone. Like for, uh, you know, but that's the French culture, mm-hmm. by the way. So certain things that I think are not okay are very okay culturally in the U.S. Well, American culture and French, I mean, the French culture and Italian, a lot of European cultures is like the eating as a whole, like three hour, sometimes more like uh, symphony of food and pleasure and fun and wine. You receive energy. It's energy. Yeah. You have this opportunity to play with energy, to get the sun, to provide that meal, to get re-energized. Then yeah. you have the opportunity to relate with people to get this human energy. So when you go for a meal, you're there to re-energize. It mm-hmm. is not the chore, it is not work. You're re-energizing. You're getting all of these, you know, things. Then you can go out there and do your thing. It's and, an amazing thing. And European culture has that down to the point where when I'm in Italy, um, and I, I need, I'm like, okay, we're ready to go. Can I get the check? Cause, and there's the, they'll, they'll, that's not, that's not normal where, cause I'm so used to an American culture them being like, are you still working? Are you still working? How do I get you out of here? So I get the most amount of people in and out of my restaurant. I wonder why that is. Why like Italian restaurants and French restaurants don't have that same desire because they would make more money. I guess just the culture is really, I think it's a good, don't get me wrong. It's a good thing, but charge more. Yeah. I mean, you know, charge more for the meal. Cheap food is cheap food because it's cheap because you don't get the service. If you Mm -hmm. go to a very fancy restaurant, you know, $50 for your plate, for your main course, is not $50 for the meat Mm -hmm. or the whatever you're having is $50 for the experience. So your meal costs you $500 for two people. Well, I guarantee you're not in and out in 45 minutes. It's going to be two and a half to three hours, which yeah. is, by the way, your, di- you know, your cycle of digestion. Surprisingly, you come out of there, you're feeling fantastic. That's right. But to get $4.95 plate, well, you have to eat in 15 minutes. Uh, what's, um, what do you think is your most gifted book to people? Yeah, I have no idea. I have so many I like. What's one you really like? You know, you asked me that before, and I don't have one that I can pinpoint. Truly. Yeah, you have a freaking ton of beautiful books in your office. I know, and I just like, it's like I get one sentence of each. And you know what's amazing? It's like, well, yeah. Well, actually, no. My favorite book of all time is Dune. Dune? Yeah. Science fiction. Yeah. Huh. Frank Herbert. It's the most incredible. In fact, it's so it's so actual today with everything that's going on, the changes and you know, environment and it's you know, it's not only a great story, it's great science fiction, but incredible philosophy. It gives you a perspective. You know, obviously there's some special power, there's some some religious aspects, spiritual things, environmental things, but it's a story about um, you know, how 
humans or I mean, they're not humans in this particular situation, but how people survive, thrive and then lose it all and transform and born again is very interesting. And then mm -hmm. it's intergenerational. I mean, the series goes many books, but very interesting. I mean, you know, yeah. How do you see it applying? When, when do you think the book was written? Well, early 50s. Okay. I want to check on this. I have to do because I, I don't want to say something stupid. No, it's actually later. Hold on one second. Mitch, what do you think? Can you look at it? Or you don't have internet, do you? We're off site. You know, I, I knew that information, but hold on. Mitch, can you look at it? 1965. Okay, 65. so 65. So what are the, what are the, uh, I haven't read the book, so I'm curious. What are the things that are, you're seeing happen today? From the, the environment. Well, it's a desert planet, mm -hmm. and we're just transforming this planet into a desert planet eventually. So, well, this is science fiction about a planet that's a desert that they want to make it into paradise, and we're in paradise, and we're making it into that. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. And then how, uh, you know, there's these giant, there are these giant worms, and, you know, these giant worms create this uh, very precious commodity called the spice and you know correlate to what commodities we have might it be you know oil wood or whatever whatever wealth you know what happens is this is the land creates the wealth mm -hmm. if you kill the land you kill the wealth weird yeah concept well it's what it is so you know we kill the land we kill the wealth that's true uh the here's the problem with um, that is how how do we not kill the land with our pleonexia, which is a great Greek word for always wanting more, more and more and more. Why this not one more? We were talking we about that earlier. We can't. That's so hot, but we have to, I, I don't like the, I don't like, we can't. We can't because you know what? No, I don't like that. We have to find a way. Well, me, Otherwise me, we're gonna become Dune. Let me tell, in I, fact, it's a very good, it's a, it's a very good point. Okay, if you are an IT guy today, you're flying high. Yet the guys that produce your food are basically modern day slaves. Half of them have no papers. Half of them live beyond a level of poverty that we can imagine. I mean, the third world is right here. Mm -hmm. So being a farmer today, which means to work your land get this resource to renew every single year is not rewarded at all but the most ecologically destructive things are the most rewarded financially so guess what Oil. you were talking about wealth mm -hmm. no it's consumption it's creation of material things oil is i mean look we need energy okay so there is a direct correlation between energy and poverty. Cheap energy allowed the poverty to fall. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're living amazing times because of cheap energy. Well, oil is cheap energy. It comes with consequences. One day we'll have alternative, but today if we stop oil, we don't have an economy. We don't have a civilization. It just stops right here. But is there an alternative? Like, there right? is an alternative. What's there are many alternatives. Like what? 
wind, solar. Wind kills, wind kills thousands upon thousands of birds and bats a year. Okay. Solar takes tons of silica to be uh, mined to create. And it, in huge land use. There is a combination. There is, a com there is not one solution. It's a combination of many, many solutions. But the number one solution is consumption. I mean, well, why do you need a 10,000 square foot house? Why do you need five cars? Why do you, I mean, look, I should be speaking. <laughs> I should be speaking. And no, this is a problem. But that's, by the way, your generation is tackling with this is a sharing economy. We have limited resources. We're going to share those resources. Mm -hmm. So we're going to go towards a future where I'm telling you, communism and capitalism are going to be very, very... There is not one system that succeeds. You know, no. we need to have a system where all farmers, in fact, the farmers should tell us what to do at this particular point. The president of the United States should be a farmer because look at those guys. By the way, amazing things. You want to talk about consumption. Driving through here, there is a Christmas tree farm. I had once a client who was a Christmas tree farmer. And I remember I drove to, it was Covina. I drove there. I had my $500 station wagon and we meet and we talk and he was showing me his land and it takes seven years to get that farm to be mature. So you have to do a seven year investment before you have your first harvest and then you keep rolling over seven years, right? They were talking about this and how amazing the, the prospect of selling his trees uh, was. And I've been observing this Christmas tree farm here and guess what? They're not renewing the land. He didn't plant, and I've been here for two and a half years, he didn't plant the other lots. They planted weed, hemp. Because guess what? They just want the fast box. So the guy that was planting those trees, if you go back to downtown Bend, you will see you have mature trees. He's going to cut his farm, and he's going to plant hemp. Nobody gives a shit. They're doing the short-term thing. Whatever sells for today's profit. The real farmers... They are thinking generationally, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years. To save the world, it needs to be run by farmers. That's right. But what if, uh, so what, what kind of farmers, though? Because uh, the generational ones, I, I, are you pointing more towards a vegetarian future or do you think meat consumption is okay? No, I'm not, I, I'm not talking, we're not having this conversation about meat or no meat. I'm talking about farming because you know what? Um, like a farm needs amount of working animals. You know, it's kind of a cycle. So, you know, you can't just grow cow. You have to grow corn and it's, it's a, you know, it's a process. A farmer, the farmer's mentality. Mm -hmm. The market will dictate. I mean, look, a big um, milk manufacturer went bankrupt. In fact, the largest went bankrupt this year. All it takes is people to change their minds and stop consuming and the market will adjust so at the moment everybody complains about the environment but everybody consumes like mad they're throwing these bottles of water there's plastic everywhere yeah, yeah. they have those toys with these belts these batteries everything you can't go using to the restaurant. energy using lights i mean all that stuff it all affects where, where, it's, where do you think it comes from that's right like this fast fashion that's taking off where people need to have new outfits every week. There you go. It's creating huge, like people say, oh, I take it to Goodwill. I take my extra clothes there. Goodwill ships that stuff out to Africa because they have too much of it. Well, actually, tons. Most of tons. it ends up in landfill. Most of it is produced by little kids. Oh, the stuff that goes slaves. after, by the way, they all don't wear it either. They burn it. Yeah, so, I mean, it's like, the, it's a holistic solution. It, it comes from philosophy. It comes from 
you know, the problem is how do you tell people they should not have or consume where success is measured by the way you can consume? That goes back to the rich or wealthy. We correlate wealth to money. Well, wealth is not money. Wealth is to be able to go into wildland, put a, a, um, a blanket on the floor and have an amazing picnic in a wild environment. But nope. You have this wild environment, amazing landscape, and people are thinking, oh, what an amazing experience. Let's build a condo. Next thing you know, you go with your blanket on a cement floor surrounded by properties that decided yeah. that the wild land that was amazingly wild is now worth great riches, but the wealth of the experience is gone. Yeah. So there, it's a mind shift. That reminds me of a story. I took a friend out, a very popular hike here in Bend is uh, Green Lakes. Um, and so I took a couple of my friends out there about three, four years ago and we hiked out and they were just amazed by how beautiful it is. Have you been there, Green mm -hmm. Lakes? You have to check it out. It's absolutely oh, beautiful. It's at the no, base of like South, so. it's at the base of South Sister and no, Broken Top. And there's just, you're in the middle of these mountains, two beautiful lakes, an island, and you're just like, there's no, way you can look without being amazed no there is no direction and uh my friend who's from uh, southern california he looks around and he's like you know it'd be great this is so awesome you know it'd be perfect it's just a little cabin right there there you go and i just go fuck that that's right he's like what are you talking it would be great we said oh yeah and then we need a road to get there and then we have other people, they're going to want to build cabins. Then we're going to need a restaurant for the cabins. We're going to need a gas station to get our cars back out and back in. And then we'll need a market. And then it'll be in neighborhoods. And then we'll need a McDonald's because we're going to get sick of the own food we're bringing in. And got to have McDonald's. And he's like, oh, okay, I guess. It. But it was a bit of an argument until I started going down. And he's like, just one. It won't be. I was like, that's how it starts. That's it starts right. with one. That's right. Yes, yeah, it's, it's very disturbing right now to see that, uh, you know, consumption has gone absolutely nuts. I mean, obviously, there's a generational thing. You know, my parents didn't consume oh, as much. I didn't yeah. consume as much. You guys consume way more. I mean, it's just gone crazy. Single-use things. I mean, take a... I'm going through a phone in a freaking, like, half a year to a year, you know? Yeah. $1,000 thing. It's good, in, good investment opportunities, though. Sure. You know? So we can have more stuff. That's right. I, so it's just like, okay, so the, I think that... I, I went deep on this issue myself mentally not too long ago. I was just like, well, how do we do like this energy crisis thing? And the reason I went deep on it is we, we got a, a huge um, deal with a company that wants us to help them with uh, changing people's perceptive perceptions on dams to be more pro-dam. And the the environmentalist in me was just like, oh, well, the thing is, is that, you know, the, the fish and the this and the that. And then I was just like, well, where does Oregon get their energy from? And I end up looking up a graph, and 47% of our energy comes from hydroelectric dams. After that, 38% comes from coal, 17% from natural gas, 5% from nuclear, and the rest are little blips of wind and whatnot. Um, so if you're like, okay, get rid of the dams, then we're burning coal. Burning more of it, and that's where we're getting our stuff from. Or well, we're no, doing no, natural there's gas. There's an incredible investment opportunity here. From an investment perspective, I mean, trillions of dollars will be spent in renewable. 
which energy. which uh, which hydroelectric is renewable. It's water going through a dam and it creates a carbon free. That's correct. So I'm looking at like yes, you have these cons with dams, but the, way, you, the only some... way to so solve this sorry, but the only way that I realize to solve this problem that people are up in arms on, you want to solve the energy problem? Stop using electricity. Pretty much. Become an become a Native American. They were the ones that had to figure it out. Well, what happens is it's consumption. Uh, exactly. We, we are utilizing way more resources than we actually need. So, well, what do we really need besides food, water, and shelter? Well, that's, Electricity will, isn't no, something a, that we need. Age will tell you this. We want it. That's, that's the wealth concept. You know, as I go back, you know, to see my children grow, and now that I have grandchildren, to see them grow, you realize what, what we really need is, hey, bud, it's five. Let's go have a nice drink and a nice table, a beautiful meal, or like what we did the other day, we cooked together. Mm -hmm. Wasn't this amazing? Yep. I was making the margaritas. You were making the guacamole. Yeah. We both were making the... the um, awesome mushroom tacos. Yeah, mm -hmm. we had a great time. Yeah. What? Give me one restaurant where we could have that experience. None. None. That was cheap. We used no resources. We didn't drive anywhere. We had a great time. That's, that's, that's wealth right there. So we don't need so much. But if you want to go to a restaurant and every time they take your plate has to be washed, uh, the plate is about that big. Now it used to be here. Now the bigs are like that, that big. Yeah. Well, that's energy because we have to manufacture that plate. We have to carry that place. We have to wash that. And all the uh, detergents ends. and everything, it goes into our rivers, which then it goes in the ends. ocean. Never ends. No. However, look at it this way. Look, look at it the bright side. The bright side is there is no black and white. The bright side is... You have what you have. There are opportunities in to coal because we need coal for industries. You can't make steel without coal. We need oil. We need renewables. We need all of the things that we currently have. Mm -hmm. But what we need is the desire to change and the desire to actually think like a farmer, which means to actually utilize our resources in a way that it will be available for generations to come. And when that mindset changes, which means that we're actually willing to consume less, have less, have smaller things, at that point, things will change and will change very rapidly. And what happens is a lot of money be, will, will be made because we're going to have in, in 50 years new industries that don't exist today and people are not going to be working in certain industries that exist today. Well, I, I think I got confused here. But anyway, you, you get the gist. The yeah. gist is as soon as we're ready to transform, we will transform. Will it be too late? Perhaps it might be too late for a few polar bears and some ice because, I mean, I flew over the Greenland and I've seen, I mean, I flew over one day, it was like minus 50, and then, you know, my wife and I flew back and there was nothing. It was 35 degrees Celsius. I mean, they were talking about an 85 degree differential, nothing. There was not, no ice, zero ice, zero. Really? So it's, it's happening, it's there. It might be too late for this, but okay, let's try to rebuild for future generations. Maybe we can rebuild this. Maybe we can cool it down one day if we plant enough trees. Mm -hmm. if, you know, it's like every time you go wash your hands, you're taking like half a rim of paper, you're taking paper yep. place. So, you know, the problems become incredible investment opportunities, by the way. Problems are opportunities from a financial perspective. So we got to get the greed, financial opportunity, and also the scare tactic is, which is what you know, what's happening right now, is oh, it's the end of the world. Well, okay, 
it, it might be the end of the world. Everybody needs to change their tune and consume a lot of No, no, no. People say that you should change your tune. They don't say that they, they don't lead by example. That's the problem. Well, in America, we consume way too much. Yeah. And if everybody wants to be like us, I mean, we're doomed. Well, no, there's just the people in America. They'll get on a soapbox and say that you need to change. I'm going to still drive my car and fly my planes and uh, well, let's, wash let's my hands and things like that. Well, no, I, I, mean, I fly a plane too. It's fine. It's just, it is what it is. I, I'm not just talking about flying like this. I'm not talking like when you get into a commercial plane and you fly places. That's right. Which happens every all I, the time I, I don't know all the time it's unreal like you look at the uh, a map of the u.s and all the flights that go over and like just 5, a little 000, line yeah. you can't see the country that's by the right. time it's done on a day because of all the lines that went everywhere that's right country's covered so um when people go down this train i just I, i'm like okay well you know change starts with your wallet it does that's how the organic movement happened but then but the, the, so that's the problem and so when you said it can't happen Unfortunately, I somewhat agree with you, but I'd like to at least think that there's a possibility. But what I, do you mean that can't happen? Can't happen, meaning uh, to stop consumption, to stop energy use. Well, no, it can't happen radically today. It, it has to happen over time. You cannot just turn on a switch and then all of a sudden nobody consumes because you know you have an entire civilization based on consumption. I mean, you have to rethink and reinvent the whole thing. Opportunities, but also massive issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, but big opportunities nonetheless. Okay, so one I want to I want to take the conversation really quick back into um, uh, analogies. I I was thinking one thing when we were talking about um, flying. Ah, yeah, I love those. Yes. Um, one thing that I've learned, uh, and I would like to get your next one is um, checklists and flying. Uh, really hit home to me when I was learning that and still do it today. And it's it's uh, this concept <laughs> that a lot of people probably wouldn't understand because so few people do it, where you just have all these things on a laminated piece of paper that you need to go through one by one. And even though you've done this a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times being flying this plane, you still go through and check every little thing. How are the ailerons doing, oil, everything before you get in the plane and you fly off. And that's to make sure that if a problem happens, you're doing it on the ground instead of in the air where bad things kind of happening. And that's basically a process. And I've taken that idea and I've brought it into business of like always have a process, always have a checklist. And it allows for human error of um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Complacency to if you able if you're able to take your business and put checklists into it then uh, and processes into it then it's not in human error it's your processes error that's right and you're able to go through and change that and it all came from uh basically uh flying uh and not being like oh it's this person that's person like, no it's a process it also allows me not to be mad at people because i'm like there's probably something wrong with the process we put in place and that's why this happened and there is yeah so what other um first i don't know on that one or other analogies i'm sure because we talk about all the time that you find when it comes to business and flying well, first of all, um, everything is done on the ground. Uh -huh. The thing is sitting right here in the hangar. Nothing happens if you play with the buttons or try to figure things out right here on the ground. So you're on the ground, just go around, make sure, you know, if you want to play with the button, see what happens. Plug it in, play with all the electronics, see what happens on the ground. Get fluent in it, 
on the ground. Okay. So then you commit to going flying. So you played on the ground with everything. You kind of got a feel for the machine on the ground. And you have a certain fluency of the system, which are very complex navigation, you know, engine monitoring, all of these things that you need to really understand because you don't have time to figure it up in the air. Next comes the planning phase. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you are not taking off, or at least I am not. And that's why I don't go fly with other pilots. As you know, mm -hmm. I don't go fly with my friends. I just do my thing because I have a certain way to do things, which is I do everything on the ground. Before I go fly, even if it's to go around the patch, I have put my destination airport. I have an alternate airport. Even if I just go around to go to the aviation museum at uh, uh, Madras, I have a Madras in there. I have my backup, you know, coming back to Ben. I have Redmond in the box. So God forbid something happens in the box as a visual cue. I know where I'm going. Mm -hmm and you do everything on the ground, then you go and you fly. If something happens in the air, which it does, you have your plan, you were fluent with the systems on the ground, something that you have to know by heart in terms of emergencies, or like two things, two or three things. Usually you have to shut down an engine or something, but the rest is, if it's not what you've seen on the ground or what you have planned, get your checklist and you go through the whole thing and there in your list you will see oh okay i forgot to do this or something has happened or low oil pressure mean this and uh you don't panic because it's it's on the checklist you did mm -hmm. lose an engine you keep flying sure um so you're having a little bit of a hiccup or it might be that what so what can happen is you have bad weather out of your control mm -hmm. but if you run out of fuel you're your problem um, you hit a bird in the air out of your control but you know again you had a plan so you you know you hit the bird something bad happened to the plane but at least you know where you're going so the reality of the matter in terms of business is you do everything on the ground you fly the mission if there is a hiccup you pick up the checklist but you're not changing destination you should already know in case of an emergency, I'm going to go there. If you go in the air, in fact, look at the accidents flying. Every time, two and a half miles from the airport, everybody's dead. You know why? Because they did not have a plan. So they're going back to wherever they, they came from. Two and a half miles? Yeah, two to five miles from, yeah. the, from, the, from the runway, people usually crash. Really? When I take off in this, yeah. If I have a problem in my box, I have Portland. Why? Two runways, 10,000 10, feet, ILS. And you know what else? There is a restaurant and there is a bar that serves great margaritas. Yeah. So if I have a problem with this, I am not trying to make it back here. I'm going to go to Portland where I know a great mechanic is. Very long runway. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to have to force it. Um, I'm not going to try. It's the same in business. Everything on the ground, you go fly the mission, but as you're flying, you're going to encounter all kinds of crazy wild things. If you took off and you didn't know what your emergency airport should be and what your final destination is, you're going nowhere. Mm -hmm. And you might be going for a while, but there's that one fatal day. 
So for a business to thrive or for you as a business person to thrive, you have to systematically stick to a set of rules and that's your checklist. Uh, so basically making sure that um, you have a plan and where you're going to end up be going um, in business, what happens if um, this client doesn't come through, where am I going to get funding, what if all this falls maybe back up lines of credit, things of that nature, like what if things don't go according to plan because they always don't, nothing goes according to plan. No, that's not true. Everything goes according to plan because in your planning, you should provision. Oh, going according to the plan of your backup plans, okay. Well, sometimes you go into a transaction and there is no backup, especially mm -hmm. early in your career. You're going and it's all or none. You might fail. It might be the end of your, it just might be the end of your career. You can't afford to eat. So uh, that's a possibility. The mm -hmm. possibility is you start something and you, you know, I mean, look, you're starting the hot sauce, right? Well, it might or might not work, but it's okay because you have food that you can put on the table. But the failure of the business is not an obstacle. It's a, just a possibility. Yeah. Okay. If you were just starting the hot sauce at this particular moment without Mazama Media, it would be a very different approach. You I would, would be, be putting a lot more time into it. That's for sure. But you would yeah. be flying with no net. But yeah. you would have made a conscious decision. I'm taking off. I might not make it back. That's I'm okay with that though. That sometimes it's okay. Yeah. Sometimes it's okay when you're alone. Because I believe. Well, well I, d I do it alone. But I believe in. I, yeah. I that, mean, I don't have a family or anything that's like right. that. That's. Or if your spouse is okay with it as well, or your partner, or what have you, it's okay. Mm -hmm. But these are the analogies to flying. Is you know you you gotta. It's so much easier on the ground, man. You can figure it out. Like you know, like the freezing thing that I I had. The plane, four days in Napa, it's raining like hell. Everything is nice. Went around the plane, went around the plane twice because I knew it was, you know, lots of water everywhere, double checked. You know, put my wife in the back, turn on the engine, lots of wind, like 35 knot wind. So it was very windy that mm -hmm. day. So anyway, take off, rough, rough take off, you know, blah, blah, blah. We're climbing. Something is just not... I'm flying, but something is just not 100%. But I'm flying, everything is well. The engine temperatures are great. Everything is looking good. All of a sudden, I'm getting this error message on my thing. I'm still flying. I'm not touching anything. The plane is flying. So let me just go to flight level and see what happens. Well, what happened is water accumulated in the tail. And a lot of water accumulated in the tail. And as I was taking off, it was actually, there was a cold front coming in and it froze very quickly. It didn't have time to drain and it froze the actuator for the trim tab. Mm. Long story short, the trim tab is what killed everybody on the air front tab because, you know, well, actually, no, that was the autopilot. The, the, the trim tab can put your, your plane into a position where you cannot have the force to control your airplane because right. it's designed to, to actually help you with this. Mm -hmm. So it's really an issue, disconnect the autopilot, check, it's flying okay, re-engage the autopilot, play with this, disengage, get the checklist, and sure enough, there was a thing saying, oh, it, it's definitely a, um, uh, a trim issue. So I'm like flying and I'm just, you know, so I, I kind of, it says trim, so I forced the wheel super hard, but good enough that 
I could re-engage the autopilot. I re-engage the autopilot. The checklist says, well, there is nothing else that the checklist says. So, okay, I did what the checklist says. Mm -hmm. I'm ready to disengage the autopilot. We're flying. We made it safe here. I'm in the hangar. I heated up the hangar and I realized that the trim was working well. Um, nobody died. So we had a... Well, that's good. Yeah, we yeah. had a contingency. There was definitely a little bit of an issue. Mm -hmm. uh, but every time we take off, we know there might be an issue. Get your checklist out. It looks like the checklist ends right here. Well, don't overthink it. You know, a lot of people mm -hmm. overthink the thing. You think on the ground, don't overthink in the air. Great analogy. Well, um, Yuri, I appreciate you uh, allowing us to shoot this episode um, here in your beautiful hangar. This is a freaking treat. I love it. I love looking around. I love uh, chatting with you, learning from you. And, um, and I really appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for being on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for coming. <laughs>